the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm your host, Megan Leipsch. Back in September of last year, I was invited to attend a retreat with a Jesuit ministry called the Ignatian Spirituality Project. That's where I met Isaac Sneed. What was your childhood in Boston like? Um, it was kind of strenuous. Um, you know, we lived in a housing project, so everything that came with the housing project, you know, I was engaged in. You know, I grew up in a family, uh, it was a big family, um, but my father was uh, a drinker and a very abusive drinker with the family. And so uh, we were always fractured and disjointed, but we always, um, we kind of like, as kids, we teamed up together because we knew we had to team up against him, you know, uh, in order to keep ourselves safe. Impact how you tried to make friends in your adult life? Well, I always kept people at bay, you know, for the most part. Um, very mistrusting, didn't trust people, um, you know, hard to get close to, uh, even in my own personal relationships. Uh, there was no, you know, no real intimacy, um, you know, uh, it was, uh, transactional relationships mostly. It's hard to reconcile the person Isaac Sneed is describing with his current self. Isaac is mellow, self-assured. At over six feet tall, he appears imposing, until his face cracks open into a schoolboy grin. After I interviewed him, he leaned back in his chair, folded his hands, and launched into a list of questions for me. How do you turn hours' worth of interviews into a three-minute video? What do you like about your work? How often do you get to travel? But for much of his life, Isaac struggled to connect with people. Raised by an abusive father, he learned to rely on himself, to turn inward for protection. Having friends was forbidden by his father. He would tell us that we had no friends, you know. And uh, so you could never introduce anybody as being a friend. You would have to say, this is my associate. As an adult, Isaac couldn't shake his father's moratorium on friendship. Without a support network, he fell deeper into alcohol abuse. He grappled with a vicious cycle of addiction, sobriety, and relapse that at times forced him to live on the streets. While living in a homeless shelter in Boston, Isaac was introduced to Ignatian Spirituality Project, or ISP. ISP provides spiritual retreat and reflection programs at shelters and recovery centers in cities across the U.S., Canada, and Ireland. It's a unique program that offers people struggling with homelessness and substance abuse a welcoming place for spiritual nourishment and companionship. I met, um, encountered ISP in a shelter in Boston after coming out of New York. It was real funny because I, um, I really had no relationship with God. I had, you know, no understanding um, or anything of that. Um, I had had a spiritual encounter. Um, I had gotten uh, sober at one point. I was sober for 10 years, um, but I didn't build on that. You know, I mean, it was like a flash in a pan. So um, when I had this, I had, I met a gentleman that shared a message of hope with me, you know, and, and that's how I got out of New York. Um, and I believe to this day that that guy was my angel, you know what I mean? 
ISP was um, very validating to me in terms of um, they welcomed me in, they accepted me for who I was, uh, who I am. Um, they accepted me for my experiences, even with my um, foibles that occurred in my life. They um, encouraged me and told me that I was worthwhile. And uh, they validated me and affirmed me in a way that I had never been validated and affirmed in my own family. Over the course of the ISP retreat that I attended, I heard many stories that echoed Isaac's. People who encountered ISP while living in shelters, people who encountered ISP years into their recovery from addiction, even one person who attended an ISP retreat on a whim, but is now a regional retreat leader. They all told me of the radical acceptance and love they found at ISP programs. The Ignatian Spirituality Project um, invites people who are uh, men and women who are struggling with homelessness and substance use addiction to be invited into a place where they can share their um, spiritual journey with others, um, where they can uh, meet the God of their understanding and really come back home to themselves, come back home to uh, the best sense of who they are, uh, where they want to go, um, to rebuild relationships really with God, but also with one another and with themselves. It's a program that's really basically human in the sense that we all can touch. We all can touch that need in ourselves to be connected to God and to others and to ourselves. This is the executive director of ISP, Christine Coran. Like me, Christine started her career in writing and copy editing. She doesn't like having the microphone turned on her. She's the kind of person who thinks deeply about the power of words, constantly honing and whittling thoughts into incisive insights. To Christine, it's important that ISP is understood as a program that goes deeper than the issues of housing and substance abuse. ISP strikes at the core of a fundamental human need, to love and be loved. I mean, at the end of the day, we all are, we profoundly need one another and we profoundly have to be in touch with um, something larger than ourselves that helps us make sense of the world, that helps us make sense of um, who we are and where we're going. And so it's a spiritual program and I don't think a lot of times a lot of other programs will say or shelters or social service agencies will prioritize that. People again and again say there was something, it wasn't just us, there was something in the room with us, guiding us, holding us together, that there was a love, there was a sense of understanding, there was a sense of God's mercy and grace. ISP, while rooted in Ignatian tradition, is open to people of all faith and spiritual backgrounds. The program's goal is not to offer faith instruction, but to make a space for people to connect with each other and with the greater spirit, what ISP calls the God of your understanding. Many ISP retreatants are not Catholic. They don't show up to their first retreat knowing about St. Ignatius of Loyola or the Daily Examine. It's not to say that we don't all bring our traditions and our, our faith or lack of faith or our church upbringing or lack of church upbringing. We bring all of our history with us. But in that circle, it ends up being God meets us where we are as we understand him or her. 
And that is radically different for each person. Um, and I wish I could say how it affects people or why it works. You know, I like, I don't know why it works with someone who is Muslim or someone who is Pentecostal or someone who um, says that they're agnostic or have never had a religious background. Um, they have a feeling of hope and joy and possibility and being understood and that there's a place of love and mercy and it's somewhere in their heart and they are sharing it with others and people are listening and receiving that love. We believe everyone and we know everyone is a beloved child of God and, and as such everyone's unique journey and life experience has value. And so we really highlight that and underline that at ISP. Sometimes those who attend our programs, our participants tend to downplay the value of their experiences especially if they were difficult or include things that they're ashamed of or, you know, mistakes that we've all made right in our course of our lives. Um, but God is faithful to us. You know, God can be found in, in all of the good and the bad times in our lives. And so when we sit in an ISP retreat circle, we're, we're bringing that sacred experience to one another and we're bringing it to ourselves in a way, in a new way, in a new light. And of course, God's in, present in the room, the God of our understanding. So I think as an Ignatian ministry, because we value experience so much, we also believe that everyone has wisdom to share. Everyone around the circle is uh, is equal and loved in the sight of God. And that's Christian, but it's also very Ignatian um, that we put experience at the center. People I met at this ISP retreat have been program participants, volunteers, or leaders for years, decades even. Why? I think it's due, in part, to this emphasis on experience. Ignatian retreats offer people the opportunity to refract spiritual teachings and insights through their own lives and understandings. There's a lot of shame associated with experiencing poverty, houselessness, or mental illness. ISP tries to break open that shame encouraging people to face their past and present the way that God does, with love. This approach can transform people's self-confidence, their lifestyles, and even their relationships. Previously, I was, um, you know, all about uh, money, property, and prestige. You know, I... I always clamored for a position of authority or a position that said, hey, look at me, I'm the boss or whatever. And through my addiction, um, I found that um, I'm not the best person to handle that type of, uh, you know, that's not in the, in the, the makings for me. That's, I, I can't handle that type of stuff. Isaac told me that as he worked through ISP programs, he realized authority and power weren't important to him anymore. Those desires, what he calls his foibles, were isolating him from people and from God. Now, Isaac works as a school custodian in a Boston public school. He likes the steady rhythm of the work and the satisfaction of repairing, maintaining. In the warmer month, he glides across the grounds on a mower, letting the mechanical thrum and fresh air clear his head for deep meditation. 
One night a week, he runs sessions at a local halfway house, offering workshop groups about addiction and recovery. He also leads weekly ISP retreats and reflection circles. What I've learned was that everybody has their own journey and that what people present you with is not ideally who they are. Um, Because a lot of us um, have been abused in some form or abandoned and are feeling uh, isolated. And so we have a hard exterior, um, a hard shell. And it's it's about, you know, um, handling uh, a person in such a way where they can, you know, begin the process of opening up and letting you know um, just a little bit about them, you know. And a lot of times when guys find out that, they look at me, but when they find out that I've been where they've been, you know, they kind of open up to that, you know. And um, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Michael Cuevas was one of those guys. Isaac and Michael met through ISP Boston, and in Isaac's words... He just gravitated towards me. It's like something that he needed, he's seen in me. And something that I needed, I've seen in him. And it's sort of like it just fit. Michael's uh, life reminds me a lot of my own life in different ways. Um, The correlation in his family and my family, um, you know, some of the things uh, that he's encountered, rejections and... and, uh, abandonment and things of that nature, things that I've experienced as well. So in meeting Michael, um, I knew that he had uh, some rough edges, you know, but I'm, you know, I can relate to that because I have them too. So, you know, uh, me and him were somewhat of a good fit. And um, I knew that when I was uh, his age and uh, in his position that I just needed somebody to listen to me and uh, validate who I am, I was as a person, and uh, which would, you know, in turn encourage me. What do you think it is that you both needed from each other? Love, love, friendship, unconditional love, more so. Um, you know, just to know that somebody was there, somebody cared, and that um, we were not going to be condemned um, for who we were or the mistakes that we had made in our life. You know, that was a very important thing. I look up to Isaac. Um, Isaac got a lot of time clean and sober. Um, he's worked in a lot of great places, you know, and, and he's a pre- he works in these halfway houses. Like he works, he works with the community that we are trying to, um, that, that we are, are targeting, you know what I mean? Like he works hands-on with these people. So I really look up to him and, and, and he just... He just tells me how it is. He's not a yes man, you know what I'm saying? Like, if I'm messing up, he's going to tell me I'm messing up, and he's going to tell me exactly what I'm doing, you know what I mean? Where somebody else would just kind of try to yes me to death and, oh, yeah, 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 and I don't need that in my life today. I need people to be real with me and let me know when I'm messing up so that I could correct it right there on the spot, you know what I mean? Because I grew up my whole life with yes men, and it brought me nowhere, you know what I mean? So... His accompaniment means everything to me because he's just raw, rugged, and just real. Michael Cuevas is the kind of person who starts telling a story before he's fully entered a room. 
His Energizer Bunny energy and boisterous charm draw people to him. On the first full day of the retreat that we attended together, he woke Isaac up at 7 a.m., looking for soap and shampoo. Later, over breakfast, he would tell us he just couldn't wait to start the day. Like Isaac, Michael is now an ISP retreat leader in Boston. For some people, retreats might be a space of contemplation and calm, but for Michael, talking about faith and God is like a jolt of high-voltage electricity. He gets animated, shifting in his chair and smiling broadly. When I asked him about his relationship with God, he didn't hesitate. Oh, that's my brother right there. That's my dad. That's my, um, my savior. He's the person who keeps me going. If, if it wasn't for God, like, I don't think I would be here today getting these opportunities that I'm getting. The opportunity to be able to see my son still at 12 years old and see how much he has grown. Um, I would have never got those opportunities if it wasn't for me building my relationship with God and trying to get to know him as best as I can. So I, the, my relationship with God right now, I say, is growing deeper and deeper. As, as it goes. But Michael didn't always feel this close to God. Like Isaac, Michael had a strained relationship with his father, an alcoholic. He was a teenager when his mother died, and shortly after that, his father kicked him out. He blamed God. Why was God punishing him like this? It was like, nobody wanted me. The only person that wanted me, God took away from me. Michael began dealing drugs to get by. When he was 23, he was shot three times. Looking back, he thinks this was God trying to press the pause button to get Michael to reevaluate parts of his life. But at the time, surviving gunshot wounds felt like a victory to Michael. I took it as, oh, I'm invincible. Nothing can touch me. Like, nothing can, I didn't even give God the glory. Then, in 2016, Michael was in a car accident. His car flipped across a Massachusetts highway eight times, fracturing his spine in five places. For months, he was paralyzed. Doctors gave him a 20% chance of ever walking again. When I got into this car accident, that this gentleman that was actually kind of He's in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. Mind you, they were telling me that I might be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. But this person was coming every single day to pray for me. And the first thing that he asked me was, do you, understand, do you know why you woke up? And I said, I don't know. And he's like, God woke you up, bro. You're here for a reason. And from that day on, um, I kind of was, I started turning towards God after months of physical therapy, Michael began walking again. Not long after, his neighbor encouraged him and his brother to check out ISP's spiritual tune-ups at a day shelter in Boston. It goes off this three-minute retreat app, and it asks you a question, and you have the option to answer it. You don't have to. Um, and the questions really resonated with me, um, and I participated in it. And after I left that meeting, I just wanted more. I wanted as much as I can get of of it. But because of this program and because I finally got to look inside of myself and, and, and try to take out all those attachments that I had and all that debris that was in the way, you know what I mean? Now I'm able to work on self and move on in life, you know what I mean? 
And that's that's what I think ISP offers that the other programs don't offer is, is we meet you where you're at. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and we're going to come at you with experience. We're not going to tell you something that we don't know about. Like, we've been through it. It made me more compassionate. It opened my eyes because I used to be the person supplying these people with these drugs. I never really looked at it as it was a problem. But then once I started seeing it in my face, the people that we work with and just seeing their, their um, how, how desperate they are for, for something else, you know what I'm saying? Just to get out of that lifestyle kind of like hit me in the face and made me like realize like this really is a problem, you know what I mean? So it made me more empathetic, more compassionate towards people and just more, more um, less judgmental. Like I look at everybody the same now. Whether you're an addict or you're not, you know what I mean? Whether you're homeless or you're not, I look at everybody the same because anybody could be in that position at any moment. And that's a way that I, I never thought that way. Like, it was me against you. It was all about me, never about you, you know what I mean? But now, um, I just look at people, I try to look at them and, and think, like, these are the people that Jesus would be hanging out with. He wouldn't be hanging out with the rich. He'd be hanging out with these people. Michael doesn't identify as religious. He says he follows God and Christ, but he doesn't affiliate with one Christian church or denomination in particular. Yet the story of Ignatius resonated deeply with him. I mean, to be honest, I never even heard of the guy, right? And then I read about him, and it's like he reminds me of myself. You know what I mean? Because, like, when I got shot, that was a cannonball moment that I should have learned from. But, like Ignatius, Michael resisted change. While recovering from the shooting, Michael dreamed of becoming a rapper. He craved notoriety. I've gone through a couple of cannonball moments just like him. And he reminds me of myself because I've always, I was just like that. I was a womanizer. I wanted to be the most famous guy on the block. Like, and to be honest, none of that means nothing, man. Like, I read about him, how he speaks about vocation, how to use your vocation, you know? Um, and it kind of brings me to a, to, to a place where I believe that I'm supposed to be using my gift of being able to entertain people in a positive way. Instead of rapping about nonsense and rapping about girls and guns and drugs, I should be on a podium speaking to people and telling them my story, maybe inspiring hope in somebody, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, that, that's how I, I relate to Ignatius and like, it's crazy because his story reminds me so much of my story, you know what I mean? And, and I never even heard of the guy. When I finally hear about him and read about him and it's like, wow, so many similarities. He was just a regular guy, just like us, you know what I'm saying? And he went through that moment where he kind of had to sit still and just get his priorities straight. At one point during our interview, Michael told me that his understanding of spirituality isn't coming from a book. It's coming from experience, from living cannonball moments, and from discerning where to go next. For Michael, Ignatian spirituality clicked because it throws out the textbook and reaches straight into the messiness of life. No offense, of course, to the many Jesuits who have written textbooks about Ignatian spirituality.
ISP retreatants, whether they're unhoused, struggling with addiction, or processing violence and trauma, connect with Ignatius's teachings because he made the same mistakes most of us make. And he changed. He grew. 500 years later, we still draw hope from that cannonball story. I think ISP offers people a piece of that. Here's Christine again. What ISP is about is really trying to address the sort of diseases of despair in our society, and those have to do with addiction. They also have to do with a lot of ways in which we have desire to fill holes, um, big, big vacant holes in our souls that, I mean, honestly, when I look at some of the ways that that's happening in our society with the violence and the fear and um, the consumerism and it is a society that is in despair and doesn't know where to turn in many ways. And that's the rich and the poor, and that's everyone educated, uneducated, and all backgrounds of society. And so I think really ISP is saying, you know, what we have in our hands is really in some ways a spiritual problem, and that we are one way of being able to come together and say, God is among us, and God is with us, God is in me, God is in you. I think this desire to heal our collective disease of despair makes ISP relatively unique. Ever since I was a teenager, when my father developed serious addiction issues, I've attended different substance abuse recovery workshops and therapy programs. Very few of them talked about a universal despair the way that Christine did. And that's not a criticism. Often these programs are focused on immediate issues, providing food or housing, helping people stay clean. Those services are essential. Plus, healing our underlying social fractures is a tall order for any organization. Still, there are very few spaces, at least that I've encountered, that put spiritual development and companionship at the forefront of recovery. That's why ISP partners with shelters and recovery centers, to fill this gap. ISP runs mainly on volunteer power, and a lot of volunteers don't have first-hand experience of homelessness or addiction, but they have experienced isolation, grief, anger, hopelessness. ISP is really just a way of bringing people together to say, you know, I, I'm broken too, and I need, I need support too, and I, I see good in you, and you see good in me, and... Um, we believe in each other and we'll walk with each other. During my time with ISP, I met two retreat leaders who have learned to walk together. Evelyn Duhart, I'm from Washington, D.C. I am Frances Coomer, and um, at this present time, I live in D.C. Francis and Evelyn look nothing alike, but they both radiate the same calm. When they speak during group reflections, their words are deliberate, drawing from a deep sense of self. From where I stand in my mid-twenties, they have the kind of grace and wisdom achieved only by women of a certain age. Francis and Evelyn are ISP leaders in Washington, D.C. Initially, they didn't overlap much at retreats. 
but then they both ended up at an ISP session called Grounded in God. Listening to Frances speak, Evelyn felt an immediate kinship. She was open. She was a feisty woman. She had she she said what she had to say and needed to say. Uh, she asked questions, and I just I just felt a connection. There was nothing that she did uh, for me or said to me anything. I just felt a connection and a, a positive energy. Soon after, Francis and Evelyn were chosen to participate in ISP's national program, Ambassadors of Hope. The program was designed to empower ISP alumni, like Evelyn, with further leadership skills and spiritual direction training. Each ambassador was paired with a companion from their city. Francis would be Evelyn's companion. Initially, Francis saw this role as a mentorship opportunity. She could support Evelyn as she completed the ambassador's program. But she quickly realized that she was growing alongside Evelyn, that they needed to lean on each other. Early on, I realized that um, somehow then Evelyn looked at me like, you know, um, differently than I felt this should go for me. And so somehow we turned to companions and companions. Evelyn has helped that blossom in my life we have really accompanied each other and grown. I have grown tremendously from just building on this friendship and this relationship and um, not sharing faith with someone who's of like mind necessarily, but sharing life. And in sharing life, faith has grown. And so um, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I think we're friends forever, hopefully. <laughs> At first it was her helping me to uh, navigate through this process and to uh, learn more about Ignatian spirituality. Uh, but then I recognized when I, I recognized that she wasn't just to help me she was we were we, we were put together to support each other and uh we became friends we started talking about stuff and i'm like this woman is she i i i'm just amazed at her her life her story um and we we learned much so much more about each other each time um he brought a friend, a, a woman into my, a, 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 a older white woman into my life that is, I can actually say she is my friend. Evelyn is black. She grew up in North Carolina, the daughter of sharecroppers. I've always felt like I was abandoned, even though I was in a home with my mother and my father. There was a lot of uh, anger in the house. There was a lot of, um, my father was very abusive to my mom. And um, my mom's had to leave home a lot of times, you know. And and I, a lot of times I would feel abandoned, and and I would and and I learned to shut myself out, to cut people off so that people wouldn't come into my life because I felt like they were going to leave me. As a child, Evelyn learned to make herself invisible, and she carried that into adulthood. She found that drinking could help insulate her too. Alcohol was like a protective barrier between her and the world, 
until she hit what she calls bottom. I think that was the one sincere time when I actually said, I'm tired. I was just sick and tired. I didn't want to do it anymore. And I, but I didn't know anything else to do other than just give up. You know, just take me away from this pain and this misery. Um, but God had another plan. And he and my son, they was working together. And um, my son said, you know, you might be ready to turn in the towel and sit down and just give up. He said, but I'm not ready to let you go. So he snatched me up, took me to uh, a program called SUM, So This Might Eat, and asked him, can y'all please help my mama? She needs help. And um, I'm here today because of that. I get emotional when I'm talking about my story. Because <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's real, you know. I only uh, connected with people that uh, that was, that had what I wanted or needed. And um, I always worked. Uh, so there wasn't a, a, a sincere relationship with anyone, really. Not even with my family, my son. Uh, but since being a part of ISP and being in recovery, I'm build, rebuilding a lot of those relationships. My uh, foundation, uh, my base, uh, my foundation, my network is much broader than what it was then. My circle is growing. I'm inviting people in, and it's, it's very rewarding. Her friendship with Francis has been a big part of the rebuilding process. That's another thing, Ignatius. And the program of recovery has taught me, people don't leave me, they just move into another place. And, um, and um, it's just being open and willing to just know that she's there for me. Um, I may not see her all the time when she was in North Carolina for like two years, and especially during the pandemic, but we talk to each other at least once a week. Every week we, we, we have a conversation. It's not her doing for me or me doing for her. It's us walking together. Companionship is a really important part, obviously, of the Christian journey and of the spiritual journey. And obviously Ignatius's own journey towards, um, you know, from being a soldier to a holy man um, and, a, and a spiritual leader. And I see companionship as really just part and parcel of understanding who we are and who we are in front of God and who we are um, as reflected in uh, relationship with others, being with our peers and being with those that know us well is a way of, it's accountability, but it's also, um, it's also, it's also a place of uh, real transformation and transformation can only really happen in companionship and on the journey with others. No one transforms by themselves. Um, and, and that doesn't mean someone is there to transform the other. It means that that's always at work in ourselves and it's always at work with God's spirit, but to have someone to walk with us and to have someone to reflect back the places of grace and to be able to reflect our gifts, especially to us uh, that we can't see for ourselves is a really important part of knowing and being able to see ourselves as God sees us. Um, so I think in that sense, obviously companioning and, and companionship was incredibly important to Ignatius and the early Jesuits um, 
and, and of course the little group of people he formed that became the largest community, religious Christian community in the world. I believe that a lot of the women that we meet, that we encounter, that we accompany, um, well, and haven't we all? I mean, many of us felt kind of hopelessness. So in providing um, a time to be together and care about one another and a, a trusting place to honestly share that, um, that awakens that hope and care. And it's like somebody cares about me, not, not because I'm giving them anything or, you know, it, it just awakens the value of, of a human being. People come and the expectation is we meet each other in that place of human dignity and believe um, in the value of one another. So yeah, I believe it offers that in a way that sometimes people bring you together to teach you what they have to offer. It's been months since I attended this retreat, but I'm still chewing on ISP's model of companionship, and not just because I've been working on this podcast. On its surface, companionship seems simple, like its virtues can be summed up by a Hallmark greeting card, something about how friends make the sun shine on a gloomy day. But we all know it's more than that. We have this basic human desire for connection, to find meaning in our relationship with others. And to some extent, I think that's a universal pain. Sometimes, as with Eveline or Isaac, we've been hurt by the people close to us. So we stride against the tide that pulls us toward others. We fill the void with other things. Substances, yes. But addiction can also take the form of overworking, excessive shopping, or high-risk activities. However we're doing it, we're hiding behind something, we're filling this void. As soon as you start to name that, and I think people who are in recovery name that clearly, and so being around that helps you to go, oh, wait a minute, this is kind of my void that I'm hiding behind. This is Father Kevin Kelly. He's a Jesuit and currently the director of Villa Saint-Martin, a Jesuit retreat house in Montreal. He spearheaded ISP's expansion in Canada, first in Toronto and now in Montreal. Back in 2016, when he first got involved with ISP, he was still in formation. He gathered a group of volunteers trained in spiritual accompaniment and began running retreats. Working out the kinks, like how to operate the program in a country with a different culture and social services system, took some time. But right off the bat, the mission connected with Kevin. He realized 12-step programs and Ignatian spirituality were complementary. And as the Jesuit in formation the experience expanded his image of God. And it very much changed what my image of God being far more about the human aspect of Christ, how being experiencing the human condition, I think teaches me that that's why God, that's how God can be so relatable because, um, I think Jesus would have felt that same void, but didn't fill it in the way that I've done it or others have done it. And I think that's the connection that I ended up making 
not to sound too <coughs> churchy around it or theological, but it was really a sense of just, we all have this, and until you can start to see it in others and then them helping you see it in yourself, you really don't grow in what that could be as a relationship. Kevin is like a poster child for Canadian generosity. Thanks to some nasty traffic on the Trans-Canada Highway, I was nearly 45 minutes late to meet with him at Villa Saint-Martin, and he apologized to me. By the time I turned my microphone on, we had already talked for over an hour about everything from the state of televised news media to loving the gritty, artsy, and very, very snowy air of Montreal. We were also joined by the head chef of Villa Saint-Martin, Aaron Temple. Aaron is an alumni of ISP Toronto, and that's how we first met Kevin. Growing up, Aaron says, he didn't have a lot of love in his life. Into adulthood, he and his mother rarely hugged. His family had long been broken by trauma and mistrust. I was not involved with my family, and I didn't have my brothers and sisters. I didn't have all those people that loved me, and everything was gone. Where was my God that I was told that was to love me and take care of me and all this stuff? Where was he? So that thought carried me into my teenage years as an adolescence. And that, when my brain was developing and my own mature thoughts as a, a human being started to really develop, that was the notion that I was had, that I was, that I was left behind, that I wasn't cared for, that I wasn't wanted. And I didn't know what to do with that. And I was angry. I was angry my whole life. But at the same time, if I didn't have that anger, that viciousness that lay underneath my skin on a daily basis, I would not have survived the environment that I had to be in. Aaron turned to alcohol and drug abuse to fill the void left by his family. In a way, he says, addiction gave him, quote, an illusion of spirituality. And for a time, Aaron was homeless. On the streets, the anger he had felt his whole life protected him. But then he got into an inpatient treatment program. He realized he had no idea how to love or be loved. When people talked about love in therapy sessions or even casual conversation, he couldn't understand it. That word, I, people could be in four rooms over with clothes, and when that word was mentioned, it sounded as though it was broadcast over the PA system. What is that? And, I, and so now, it's, now I'm here, and I'm just in love with life and people and what all this has been given to us is amazing. It's beautiful. So finding this kind of power in sobriety was something to me was became a drug to me. Um, and you know, I, I, I can't buy that. Um, I can't, I can buy artificial joy, but it, it doesn't last as long as what I found returning to my spirituality and finding God. If you asked me that five years ago, no, <laughs> different story. You know, I was busy trying to feed my pleasure sensors. And if you got in my way, I don't want anything to do with you or you're getting trampled or bulldozed over. Like I, I had, I had little to no regard for other human beings or feelings or repercussions or consequences at all. And I just didn't care what happened or how it happened. It didn't matter. Now, after two years as an ISP retreatant, Aaron is helping found ISP Montreal with Kevin. Now I have the opportunities to really use those gifts that I was given to, you know, help 
humankind in the best way they can, or other human beings, other people that were in situations that I was, other people that were suffering from misery that, you know, now I'm not so miserable in my life that I can reach out and I can help maybe, uh, help steer them in a direction where maybe they're going to have less misery in their life. Um, and that goes back to the whole kindness and, and loving each other kind of as family, uh, you know. So in that regard, it's, it's, it's opened it up so huge for me that I pretty much have, am turning my life over to that is what my life's work is, is to help humans, to help my brothers and sisters. The night I visited the villa, Aaron was busy prepping for a bake sale fundraiser the next day. During the dinner service, that I was characteristically late to, he breezed in between the kitchen and dining room, checking to make sure that pastries were conveyed promptly in and out of the ovens. He and the kitchen staff had been at it all day, making batches and batches of cookies. Gingerbread, oatmeal raisin, chocolate chip. He told me that after I left, with a pink pastry box of cookies to take home— They'd probably have a few more hours of baking to get it done. But during our interview, he was laser-focused on our conversation. At one point, while Kevin was talking, I saw Aaron take out his phone and start typing. I worried that something was awry in the kitchen, that I was keeping him from the real task of the evening with my never-ending list of questions. But when Kevin finished speaking, Aaron looked up and said he had just been researching different definitions of spirituality. He didn't talk about the definitions, though. Instead, he told us about a dream. When I was 15, I remember having this, this very vivid dream. It, it, I can still see it today. And in this dream, I was with someone else. We're walking, but it's like back in the times of like Jesus. We're moving into a giant coliseum and all the pillars and everything. And there's, there's a crowd everywhere and it's, it's, there's calamity going on. And there's this extreme like doom and gloom anxiety in the air and everybody's you know chattering and in this dream I spoke out and I the words that came out of my mouth were God is humanity and this room went silent. A lot has changed for Aaron since he had that dream but he thinks of those words God is humanity often. I am now actually continuing to kind of develop and work with the ISP ministry to help other gentlemen have the same or as greater, greater experience than I did, knowing how much it's brought to my life to find a community of people that accept me for who I am, for the things that I've done, but don't judge me upon that and see the fortuitousness of the skills and abilities that were like God given to me and to be able to advance and develop and and show those as that's my sun to shine. Um, So that's really what's brought me and kept me uh, in ISP is that how I feel today, if I can give this feeling to other gentlemen and other women and other people, that is like the MasterCard commercial, priceless. To learn more about Ignatian Spirituality Project, visit the links in our show notes. You can also check out a short video about ISP that I recently produced. 
Thank you to everyone at ISP who shared generously of their time and stories. And to those whose voices you didn't hear, but were very essential. Matt Myers, Catherine Drotleff, Mary Funky, Margot Patterson, and Renita Reichs. Thank you. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org. On Twitter at Jesuit News. Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting Jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.